This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Well, we have talked uh, a while back with Dan Butner, who uh, has spent the better part of the last 15 years trying to help people live healthier lives and better lives. He is the founder of an organization known as Blue Zones, which is looking at that task here in America. But Dan's mindset has taken him around the globe looking for those Blue Zones where people are the happiest. His new book, The Blue Zones of Happiness, lays out some of those areas in different parts of the world, but it also looks at how local governments can change their mindset to set up great places to live. And that part not only changes the people, but it can change the area and sometimes even the economy as well. And it's great to have Dan back with us on the show. Dan, also a National Geographic fellow and a New York Times bestseller as well. Dan, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Delight to be back. Thank you. Uh, And I guess let's take a step back for a second, because when we talked before, I had asked you, what are the common themes that you find when you're looking at these different areas? And that was when we were talking before within the U.S. But can you play out the same type of question when you're looking globally as well? Yeah, so at National Geographic for the past 15 years, I've developed a bit of an expertise at finding the statistically most extraordinary populations and then reverse engineering it, so to speak. So the last time we spoke, I had was wrapping up a project, 10-year project, that found the statistically longest-lived areas, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, of Costa Rica Sardinia, Okinawa, uh, Ikaria, Greece, and the Seventh Day Adventist, and then you know once you find people who you know have the outcomes that we want, i.e., long, healthy lives, then there's a number of methodologies you can apply to find out the correlations and the common denominators. Uh, so that was longevity, and that was that was the Blue Zone first Blue Zones book. But for this project, again with National Geographic, we set out to find the statistically happiest places in the world. And that's a rather different exercise because happiness is a little bit harder to measure. And happiness itself is a meaningless term academically because, well, you can't really measure happiness. But uh, scientists and several at UPenn there, we collaborated, uh, have gotten very good at measuring life satisfaction, mm-hmm. how you evaluate your life, your daily emotions. Uh, in the last 24 hours, how, how much have you feel felt joy and and stress and laughed, and then purpose. Do you use your strengths what you do best every day? And we corralled data from 151 countries that represented 95% of the human population, and I convinced them to tell me where the happiest people are in each one of those three areas. Yep. And in telling that story, I could sort of tell the story, if you want this, this kind of happiness, here's how you do it. We're talking with Dan Butner, who is the author of the book, The Blue Zones of Happiness, Lessons from the World's Happiest People. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, what, what I found interesting, and I'll get into these these specific regions in a second, was the element of being able to have happy communities and actually the mindset of the people or the government within the community actually considering this as an important element of development. 
the first thing to realize it is that happiness doesn't just happen on its own at a national level. There's a clear genesis to it. There's a uh, uh, usually enlightened leaders um, a generation or two ago have taken the focus off of just economic development. Economic development is, is important for poor countries, but it's not that important for rich countries when it comes to happiness. What's more important, the policies that set into motion an upward spiral in well-being are uh, making sure kids have enough education that they can read, educating women, especially mothers, because then mothers have fewer children who are better educated, more healthy, grow up to be more productive, better parents, and make better voting decisions so that the next generation is even better. And rather than focusing on, on health care, which we do in America, uh, which is really sick care, and we pay to make people less sick, is investing in great public health that catches diseases before they become uh, six-figure events. So people stay healthier. Health and happiness are uh, 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 inextricably linked. So, And then finally, a sense of equality, which manifests in a number of ways. Sometimes it comes down from policy. Sometimes it's done through taxation. Sometimes it's just done with uh, what, uh, what people in these places honor. But there's always a pervasive sense of equality and trust in happiest places. You also take a little bit of a look at, at the workplace as well, correct? So my central argument when it comes to happiness that is if you try to get happier, it's a recipe for neurosis. It, it usually doesn't work, but you can set up your environment so you're more likely to be happy. So when it comes to your workplace, Gallup and ShareCare have done 2 million surveys with workers around America, and they find that the most important determinant of whether or not you like your job is not your pay, not even your boss. It's do you have a best friend at work? So if you want to set up your work environment to favor happiness, you make the social overtures to have somebody there who cares about you on a bad day and with whom you can have a meaningful conversation. Dan Butner is the author of the book Blue Zones of Happiness. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I mean, it's it's not just, I mean, you really tried to look at this from a variety of different angles. Uh, you have sections in the book about finances, social network, a variety of different things. And, and to a degree, it all comes together in this quote-unquote power nine that you have towards the end of the book, right? All the different elements that, that could be kind of important uh, to a person of, of whether they are happy or not. So, like Malcolm Gladwell does in his books, I made a, an academic argument. There's a sea of data that now, through using correlational sciences, we can find out exactly what kinds of behaviors and uh, characteristics favor how you view your own life, life satisfaction, how you experience your day-to-day, a positive affect and purpose. So I found about 20 evidence-based ways that you can improve each of those. And then proceeding with the argument that if you try to change your behavior, you're going to fail. It's the same reason why diets never work. Right. Exercise pr- programs don't work for 90% of the people who try them. Our, our minds are hardwired for novelty uh, we get bored, we lose discipline. So if you tell somebody that, you know, practice gratitude or 
practice positivity. Sure, that will work as long as a person remembers to do it every day. But what happens invariably is after uh, a month or two, they forget to do it. So the intervention falls away and so too does the happiness. So what my book does is it identifies six domains that you can influence, that you can set up your life so you're more likely to be happy. And I offer uh, a a blueprint, more or less, to set up your life, your ecosystem, so that you don't even have to think about it, but you'll be nudged into the things that will favor happiness. Part of the the issues you kind of alluded to with people uh, is the fact that – whether it be attention span being shorter these days uh, or we are more busy than we are, uh, the expectation of people being able to do something on a day-to-day basis, similar to what you just laid out, uh, feels like it's a harder and harder challenge. I mean, it can be done, but it, it takes a lot more uh, probably than, than people probably figured back in the 60s and 70s. So. When it comes to making us happy, most people are misguided or just plain wrong. So statistically speaking, if you're, you are unhappy and you live in an unhappy place, uh, and, and happiness work, Kikris, of course it's important to have food and shelter and health care and some education. That's all kind of the ante, the foundation. You need meaningful work. You want to be married to the right kind of person. You want to have a feeling of getting back. But the most important variable in that happiness recipe, the the ingredient with the most statistical variability is where you live. So if you live in an unhappy place, the best thing you can do is move to a happier place. And you might roll your eyes and say, well, I'm not going to (laughs) move. Well, Americans move. I checked this with the Census Bureau. Average American moves 9.8 times in in their adult life. And also, there's a very clever... Uh, economist in Canada named John Halliwell, and he followed immigrants as they moved from unhappy places in Africa and Southeast Asia to Canada. Canada's very happy places, one of the top seven in the, in the world. And he found that after just one year, uh, these people didn't change their age, they didn't change their sex, they didn't change their their religion, their education level, their sexual orientation. All they did was move, and within yeah. one year, they reported the happiness level of their adoptive home Canada. So there's, so th- and that's lasting. So there's no other intervention anybody can tell me about that has that dependable and lasting <laughs> impact on happiness than your geography. So for people who can't move, the rest of the book says, okay, well, I can't move to Canada. I can't move to a uh, happier place in the United States. How do I set up my life right. uh, take these elements to be more happy? So, and you can probably affect that significantly within your own within your own world, like inside the walls of your house or, or your apartment. Uh, unfortunately, you can't control a lot of the stuff on the outside. You can't. No, well, that's part of the human condition. But take take your social network, for example. So, a lot of us just blunder into our five best friends, that whether left over from childhood or. We met them in college, or, or they're, you know, we happen to work with them one day, and they're still... Right. Well, taking a, a, a cold-eyed view at who those people... I would never tell you to dump your old friends, but I will tell you that loneliness is contagious, unhappiness is contagious, bad health behaviors, they're all measurably contagious. 
So one of the best things you can do to stack your deck in favor of happiness is to proactively bring happy people into your network. And not just happy, it has to be people who care about you. And, you know, instead of focusing on some uh, self-help course, to go out and think about who you know and proactively befriend them. And for every new happy person you add to your immediate network, your own chance of happiness increased by about 15%. So that's one Hmm. domain you can control. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I wanted to spend the last uh, 10 minutes or so talking about these locations that you have in the book that uh, are seemingly the happiest places uh, around. You have uh, three of them, Denmark, Costa Rica, and Singapore. And let's go through each of them individually, and, and what is it about those areas that are, are, are significantly different from other places around the world? And I guess I'll start with Costa Rica. So because there's three types of measurable happiness, I asked the, the, the uh, Gallup to identify, the, uh, in the case of Costa Rica, it's the place where people enjoy their life day-to-day, moment-to-moment most. Specifically, it's in an area called Cartago, Costa Rica. And by the way, I, I wrote the cover story this month for National Geographic, so if you want to see pictures of these places. Uh, it's a gorgeous place, Central Valley. Um, climate remains spring-like around the year. It's verdant. There's best coffee in the world. But this is a place where uh, religion family, and social interaction are, are the main values, unlike trying to get ahead or financial security or status. Um, their uh, education, um, the highest rate of literacy in all Latin America, um, there's no army, eliminated in 1948. There is um, every man, woman, and child in the entire country gets a free visit from a, a nurse practitioner every year to catch a chronic disease. Huh. Before it's a nine one one. So I mean, again, there are very clear uh, origins to the happiness there. But their cities are set up so they're bumping into each other all day long. They walk to the markets where they have conversations with people, right. and they themselves report the highest positive affect, the daily emotions. And if you live a life where you're just pursuing your goals and working fifty hours a week and not really enjoying the journey, you want to pay attention to how Costa Ricans live. Uh, Denmark. Yeah, so that, you know, they routinely top the happiest places, but people are, are misguided there. It, you know, the refrain was that they're easily satisfied when nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Danes expect free health care for their life, free education through college. In fact, they actually get paid to go to the university. Um, when they become pregnant, nine, ten months of paid leave to make sure your child gets a good start in life, and a guaranteed comfortable retirement. Fewer than 20% of Americans have all three of those yeah. things. So they're in a position, especially since uh, ambition and status are not celebrated there, they're in a position to take a job for passion. So they're spending their days making wonderful furniture, design, architecture, uh, not some job they take because they need health insurance. And they're spending most of their daily their days um, doing something they enjoy. So they have the highest sense of purpose. Singapore? That's a place where the path to success is neatly laid out. And there are some people who like to just, they don't have to wake up in the morning and think, what am I going to do today? 
they like to know, all right, I'm going to show up to work. I'm going to work X number of hours. I'm going to produce uh, Y amount of output. And at the end of this road, in 20 or 30 years, I will be financially secure. My mother will be proud of me. My friends will be impressed. And I'll be able to look at my life and be satisfied with it. That's life satisfaction. Mm-hmm. But it's for individuals, if you want to be happy, it's it's you have to have what I call a diversified portfolio of life satisfaction and, and good daily emotions and purpose. And the Singapore experience teaches us that, yes, there is a brand of happiness where if you get rich and you think you're happy, you are. Do you think that, that some of the things that, that you have just laid out with with all three of these locations, uh, obviously they are looking at them from a variety of different levels, but uh, are these types of events going on in a lot of locations around the country and, and maybe we're just not hearing about them here in the U.S.? Yes. As a rule, uh, the happiest places in the world, the 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 five or six indicators of happiness, no matter where you go, and the top places are all going to have them. They're going to have a high degree of trust. In other words, people who are representative sample, people surveyed are going to say, I trust the people around me, I trust police, I trust the government. Uh, as a rule, they're going to have uh, a high healthy life expectancy. So they're going to live free of chronic disease for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's going to be a level of equality. The top 10% is going to be only a few times richer than the, the bottom 10%, unlike Brazil, where the factor is 65. Uh, they're going to live in places where it's easy to socialize, so social equity is high. But, yes, if you, ha- you see the same common denominators in the happiest uh, places in the world, and I assert that our government – should be paying attention to what the research is now yielding at producing happy populations and not continuing to beat the dead horse of you know raising GDP or you know or running up the stock market because it's a it's a it's a blunt instrument when it comes to trying to produce happiness are, are you when you say government are you talking about all levels of government or specific areas because I, I mean we've I, I think we hear sometimes that the ability of local governments to make you know some of the basic small changes really have the opportunity to have uh, have great benefit and sometimes obviously that when you're talking about getting up higher up the political level that it just becomes too convoluted and there's too much back and forth going on to really have an expectation of, of making positive change. So I recruited 18 of the world's top happiness experts and we did a consensus to identify the policies that are most likely to yield happiness in nations, life satisfaction in nations. So I'd argue that our policymaker, our congressmen and senators and president, ought to at least be aware of these as they make decisions. But to your point, yes, local governments have a lot more power. So in this National Geographic article this week, we, of this month, we did an index to find the happiest places in America. Right. And places like San Luis Obispo, Boulder, Colorado, um, uh, Portland, Oregon, all of these places at a certain point, enlightened leaders turned away from just more development, and they stopped the development. They turned the economic energy inward to build a vibrant downtown. Uh, they've done things like eliminate billboards. 
When you think about it, nobody yeah. likes billboards except the advertisers. Right. We don't need to be taunted to buy stuff we don't need and eat food that isn't all that good for us. No billboards. Uh, there's a very high correlation between walkability and happiness. And so, in general, uh, policies that are going to favor humans and pedestrians in streets and not just cars. And then the eating environment. There's a healthy food index, which is also very highly correlated. So can the people there have access to fruits and vegetables? They're all leading indicators of happiness in in communities. Do you think it's possible to be able to, as you laid out with, with these locations in Denmark and Costa Rica and Singapore, to be able to repl- uh, replicate what they have here on the in the U.S. on a national level, and and as you have just laid out with a variety of different kind of elements here, whether you're talking about the foods that we eat or the atmospheres that we that we live in, the people we talk with, that seemingly is is a daunting task these days. Well, through these blue zone projects, which I lead, I have a team of 200 people, and we're working in 23 American cities. Right. And we bring these policy bundles to city councils and mayors and city managers, and we help them come to consensus. Most of the time, they don't even realize that these policies can yield healthier, happier populations. And just showing them that and then bringing them to consensus on what's feasible in this community and what would be effective in this community, it takes about four hours. But the the best ideas flow to the top. Policy, we could get these done here. And then one of my team members just makes sure the policies get implemented. And you look at the beach cities of Los Angeles, three communities I've worked in in seven years, and their uh, overall well-being has jumped by about 10%, self-reported well-being as measured by Gelb. And their BMI, uh, citywide BMI, has gone down by about 15%. Right. So the short answer is yes, it can be done. We yes. just have to shift the focus of our efforts away from trying to change individual behavior, which never works in the long run, to shaping people's environment. Dan, great talking to you again. Thank you very much, and we'll look forward to having you on again on the next project. Love talking to you. Have a happy weekend. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan Butner, the uh, author of the book, The Blue Zones of Happiness, which is uh, out and available right now. Uh, Lessons from the World's Happiest People. Very interesting book and a great one for you to pick up along the way. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 